today on the talent cast hi how you doing i'm on my second cup of coffee so haha you are all screwed today on the talent cast we're gonna finally tell you how to do social recruiting right yeah no really we're, that's exactly what we're gonna do we're gonna finally how to tell you how to do it right in a minute Howdy! Welcome to The Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I, am always, am your host, James Ellis. Uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers, and thus, we are here. This podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever. We've instituted a 100% no-pitching rule. We're here to learn, teach, and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers. I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, You can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, As always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at thetalentcast.com, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, here we go. Hope you enjoy. Hey, James Ellis here. Like I said, second cup of coffee. You have all been officially warned. Uh, let's talk about social social recruiting. So I think the biggest problem with social recruiting starts with the very idea of social media. And it starts with the fact that there's 1.6 billion, b- 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 billion active users on Facebook every month. Um, you know, there's only a couple hundred million users on Twitter, a couple hundred millions on Instagram, people use Pinterest now and then, Snapchat's a thing I've heard, and everybody assumes because they can go onto their phone and their computer, well, mostly their phone, and start up an account for free and use it for free and connect people for free, that social media is free, and it's not. Oh my goodness, it's not. Oh my goodness, it is not. Can we just kill that thinking just right now? Come on, it's 2017. There's no such thing as free. There's never been such thing as free, but we've all been programmed and you know advertised at and thought leadership to death that this idea that social media is free and it's just not true, okay? The problem with social media in general, there's a great uh, book. Uh, ooh, I'm gonna have to find out the article. I'll put it in the show notes. I can't remember what it is. It, it, it's the sense of... Um, This idea that we all have capacity, right? There's 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. That's true if you're here in Chicago or in China. Uh, It doesn't matter. Those things are the same. Everybody needs to sleep six to eight hours a day. Sometimes you have a little more. Sometimes you get a little less. Um, Occasionally you need to bathe. Occasionally you need to not stare at a computer screen. Occasionally you need to get in a car and go somewhere. Things need to happen. But in the end, everybody has the same amount of time. Right? It's very simple. Now, the nice thing about the last, oh, let's call it 50 years, is this thing called productivity. It has increased substantially. Every time new technology comes out and it, you know, takes a year or two for us to go, you know, poke it with a stick and go, what is this thing? And I don't know what this thing is. Does this make any sense? Once we adopt it and absorb it and and make it part of our everyday process, it actually tends to make more free time. So for example, think back 20 years ago before everybody uh, on the planet had email and what work was like. Think about 
how you had to schedule a meeting to have any kind of conversation, how there was no such thing as remote working. There was just no way to do it really, you know, realistically. Uh, you had to fax things. Oh, my goodness. Does anybody remember a fax machine? I had to use one a couple of weeks ago. It was just like, oh, God, I just rather rather than pay the FedEx guy three bucks to use a fax machine. It's like, could we put this money towards, I don't know, a time machine and go back in time and make the fax machine better or just work or whatever? Horrible technology. Mail snail mail oh my goodness do you remember getting a paycheck every week and having to take it to the bank um, before direct deposit do you remember those things that were those were huge wastes of time because they were non-productive time right you couldn't actually spend it writing or building a presentation or coding something yes they had coders 20 years ago or talking to your clients or going to meetings or whatever the heck it was you did all day you had to spend all your time wasting on the stupid stuff and of course what happens is technology swooped in and made all that stuff easy and I mean easy as in well now you have to hire someone to manage it all for you um, anybody who knows your you know <laughs> the uh, accounts payable person over and or um, your, your payroll person in your particular company knows that is not an easy job it is however a job that one person can handle with the help of other company and technologies that before you simply couldn't do you just couldn't you could have I mean really a huge company can be staffed with just one or two people instead of a team a huge team of people uh, because of technology and that led to productivity now in the case of payroll that means fewer people on staff which is good because it lowers costs etc etc but in your job it means you had more time to do more work type stuff you could have more meetings you could have more clients you could write more stuff you could communicate more often you could have fewer meetings because you were just emailing notes to people and 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 conversations were happening for offices with you know let's say slack you could have group conversations while everybody is on a call or doing other work and you could come to some sort of consensus about a situation without ever taking away from the actual work that they were doing this is amazing stuff that's technology finding space to make productivity now what happened there is, is that with all that free time, quote unquote free time, it doesn't feel like we have any free time, we built stuff. We made web pages. We made MySpace pages, which are really just web pages with a template. Um, and most people figured out how to screw those templates up so bad that they made you blind when you looked at them. We spent time scanning things. We spent time taking pictures or taking our pictures and moving them from analog to digital. We spent time building networks with our friends and our family. We spent that time going through back issues of Variety magazine to look for an article we found once. We spent time taking our CD collection and coding it and putting it up online up until Spotify came by and then took 98% of it and made it redundant. Um, but you know, that rare Sting single that one that you can't find anywhere but say Sweden, you've got it and you've got it online and now you can make it available on YouTube or to people who are looking for that sort of thing. For those of you who have not experienced that joy, maybe you're not as old as I am, you know, go back and think to your CD collection or even if, ugh, singles collection, and it could be CD singles, I don't, I don't judge. Go find a song you haven't listened to in forever. Go find it on YouTube. Go find it on Spotify or wherever you find music. It's amazing how I'm in how 20 years after the fact you know every darn word and you know every chord change and you know that song backwards and forwards that's amazing anyway we had all this capacity to build stuff at the time this was called the gift economy I spent my time encoding my CDs into mp3s and making them available on different mp3 sharing sites in Napster and uh, Audio Galaxy, for those who remember that. Uh, later, we had BitTorrent and we had YouTube and all sorts of other fun ways to share stuff. 
that was a gift. I was I I was making a gift of my time to the world to encode and and and, and record my CDs and give them out. There's a guy in I want to say Minneapolis or Minnesota at least who scanned in um, the artwork from turn of the century or post turn of the century stock certificates. These are etchings and engravings that were fantastic. Oh my God, these are pieces of art, these little metal engraving etchings of the weirdest things. It was like the nicest, interesting kind of picture of the zeitgeist of the time, this future that one day will be. Uh, and he just scanned them all as art because he could. No one asked him to. No one said, you know what? I'll pay you $1,000 to go scan these things. He had them. He thought they were interesting. He wanted to share them. He made a gift of that. And for a long time, the internet was powered by these kinds of gifts. Not gifts as in funny pictures of, of Alec Baldwin being Jack Donaghy or Trump, depending, um, but gifts with a T at the end. Um, we, we made gifts of our time. We made gifts of our thinking. We made gifts of our connections. We made gifts of the things that we had. At the same time, when we did that, companies realized what we need to do is also play along with this gift economy. And so they scanned their morgue files. They scanned materials. They put their videos up. There were now places to host them. Every video you've ever seen or ever recorded you can now stick on YouTube for free there's that word again free hmm interesting we'll come back to that it was a gift someone allowed you to host it you hosted it people could download it they got stuff for free simple as that so with that capacity with that time we were able to build these these gifts one of those gifts was these connections we made between other people so if I asked you 20 years ago to tell me who your friends are, there's no way. How would I know who your friends were or your family were? Other than the fact that some people don't live very far from their family and see them every week. And some people, like me, see them every couple months. My parents and my extended family, I see them once every blue moon, right? It's not an everyday occurrence. They don't live near me. But my friends, I see every once in a while because I'm busy and they're busy. We don't see each other very often. How would you know who my friends are? But what I did is I went on Facebook and to some extent LinkedIn, and I made friends with people. I made those connections. I made a map for some other company to say, these are who the people I know, and these are, this is how I'm connected to them. One of them is my wife. One of them is my mother. One of them is my father, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One of them is something I went to work, I went, worked with 10 years ago, and I kind of sort of vaguely remember and sort of keep in contact, but not really, uh, and one of them is my best friend. I built that map and I gave it away for free. Now, I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but that's certainly what I did. LinkedIn, same thing. Here's my entire Rolodex of anybody I've ever met. <laughs> and I've met them. And hey, if, you're, if they don't exist as a record in your file, you should ping them and say, hey, can you make yourself a profile so that we can make a record of you and map your whole internet connections? That's what they did. I spent my time, considerable time, building those networks and building those gifts to those companies. That's what I did, and thus social media. Now, with all that time, I could have been curing cancer. No, I couldn't have. Come on. I can barely spell chemistry. There's no way. There's no way. But I, I, I can't say I would have been saving the world, but I certainly could have been reading more books. I could have finally figured out that Godel Escher book that mocks me every time I see it. That's, that's, my, that's my Mount Everest. It's the book I can't read. Some people, it's uh, Infinite Jest. I tried that one. I could not care less. But the Godel Escher Golden Braid thing, oh my God, it mocks me. I should be, I should love that book. Every book, every smart person reads that book and goes, oh yes, this is a fascinating book. Every book I love refer references it. It's amazing. I can't get into it. It just, it's, it's, it, 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 I can't be done. 
but I could have spent time trying to conquer that book. But no, 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 no. I shared you pics of cats. I shared you pictures of my child. Now, they're hilarious. My child is as cute as I'll get out, much like your own. But I spent my time doing that. I could have been more productive. I could have taken a class. I could have gotten another master's degree. I could have whatever. I could have done anything. Instead, I made these gifts. And some of them were music, and some of them were videos, and some of them were my networking, my connections, my friends, my family, my whatnots, my history of work, etc. And you did the same thing, right? Trust me, I'm going to go to each and every one of your Facebook and LinkedIn and find all the time you've spent writing and making connections and connecting with people and talking and building that map and you gave it away. Because that's the trick to social media. It's all free, except it's not. What's the joke? If you're, if you're not paying for it, if you're not the customer, you're the product. Ha ha ha. Where do you think that came from? That's Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and all these other places. These are social media things that were supposed to be ostensibly free for you to use, but really what they were, were free for you to come in and do all the work for them. You know, when, when Google was big enough that they made self-driving cars that they could take pictures and figure out maps, it was a huge expense, huge expense to make Google Maps and make Google uh, views, or whatever the, the map view or whatever that is. Huge expense. That's millions and millions and millions of dollars without a clear ROI, right? There's no clear return on that. And they never could have done it unless they were Google and making a massive chunk of change selling everybody ads, right? Tiny little text ads. They had the resources to do it. If only there was a way, and now of course there is, for Google to say, look, take a, go outside, take a picture of your house and shoot it to us. Take a picture of your neighbor's house and shoot it to us. These will be incomplete files and there'll be gaps in our records, but it will be virtually free because we didn't have to take those pictures. We'll just read the encoding in the pictures to figure out where that picture is, map them connected to other pictures people took in that area, and figure that out. We'd use math to figure that out. Well, that's what happened for Facebook and LinkedIn. They, you, they let you do all the work. They didn't need to do a huge investment of asking everybody for their records or, or, or collecting them or having to you know, buy everything from Ancestry.com or whatever or where the genealogical records are. For, you know, connect. They didn't have to do that. You volunteered it. Yes, suckers, and I'm one of you. Yes, that's right. So anyway, that's social media. You created all this content. You spent all this time because you had suddenly capacity to do that. Everybody else is on Facebook. I guess I will be too. Let's be fair, there's no real reason to be on Facebook for most of us. Most of us are adults and we really don't use it that much. There's no real reason to be on it, but it was cool. It was interesting. And well, gosh, I guess I can see a, the picture of a friend's kid. Sure, whatever. Great. So that leads us to social recruiting because that's what social, the social and social recruiting is. It's about social media. Now, let's talk about now that you have all this content out there, now that you've spent all this time building the content and everybody else has spent that exact same amount of time doing exactly the same kind of work, how do you actually use that? How does that have any advantage to you? How is that of, of any use to you? Hold on, I need more coffee. Clearly, I'm, calling, I'm, I'm getting sleepy, clearly. Ah, okay, so really it wouldn't be a, a podcast episode unless you all got to hear me slurp coffee once. That's just, it's just, that's just my signature, which is sad, and yet here we are, and yet you still listen. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Anyway, social recruiting. So the problem with social media and the social recruiting is that this this the sense of because there's a tool, meaning Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, that allows you to reach these people, you can reach these people, right? It's very simple. 
Uh, it's an extension of what we all know to be true from you know buying ads on TV or placing ads in, in newspaper or classified ads or whatever, or billboards if you were so inclined. It's just an extension of, okay, there's a tool. It makes these people, these audiences available to us, and we will talk to them like we would in a commercial. Now, the problem here, of course, is when you're watching a commercial on TV or maybe you're at the movie theater and you're subjected to a commercial or worse yet, you're in a cab or you're in an airplane and they're subjecting you to commercials. Yes, that's right. You've just been paid money. <laughs> You've just paid money to be subjected to somebody else's commercials. I think those cabs and those uh, flights should be cheap or free, right? <laughs> if I'm going to be subjected to that, that commercial for the entire flight, you're paying for my seat. You're paying for my incredibly uncomfortable seat. Just a business model that I think everybody should adopt. Otherwise, I paid money for the seat. You do not have to advertise to me. Anyway, off that particular soapbox and on to another one. Um, when social media came around, it was such a radically different idea. Why? Well, because instead of saying, I'm going to make a web page and I'm going to post things to it or share a link or share a picture or code something or even MySpace, which really wasn't particularly social uh, because all you were is like, I made a profile and I'm going to connect with people. That was the sum total of the engagements. You know, you could comment and post on other people's walls or pages, but that wasn't engagement in any real time. And it, no, it, it was not very social. And I mean social in the most truest sense of the word, and that's it's engagement, conversation between people, people being social. If you look up social in the dictionary, that's what it is. It's not about Facebook. It's about having a conversation or having engagements between people. You can be social, not online, because it's called let's go down to the let's go down to a party, let's go down to a bar, let's go talk to somebody randomly at Target or a parking lot, and I can have a conversation, and that's being social. Truly social. Not social media, social. Social media says, here's a tool that makes and automates that process. Therefore, it's easier to reach much greater audiences. Now, the thing is, is if, you know, we all saw you know, communication grow and these tools grow. And we said, okay, as these tools are being added, we'll just expand our audience. So if instead of just putting one ad out to a billboard or a commercial or a TV show or whatever, we will take that same commercial language and same commercial thinking and push it out to everybody on Facebook who meets these parameters. This is interruption thinking. Right? This is all Seth Godin and, and permission marketing. This is all that stuff that says, in the end, no, you, know, you and I survive the commercial on TV to get through The Walking Dead or to get through whatever it is we're watching on TV because that's the, that's, that's the, the transaction. You give me free entertainment, and in return, I will give you a couple of minutes every hour to not change the channel when your commercial for English Muffin shows up. That's the gig. That's why that show is free. That's why you don't have to pay for The Walking Dead. Well, you have to pay for cable. Uh, that's why you don't have to pay for CIS Burbank or whatever, CSI Burbank or whatever the show is on networks. I don't know. Legion, no, that's on FX. There's so much good stuff on, on cable and not on broadcast. I, I can't think of it. Football. The reason you can watch American football in the States on broadcast TV is because you are allowing yourself to see commercials. That's the transaction. Simple as that. Now, that transaction is okay only because someone is giving you a whole lot of free stuff, entertainment or sports action or talk or whatever it is. They're giving you something for free. That's a transaction. A transaction is not one-sided. It should not be. If it is, get out of that transaction unless you're on the good side of that, in which case double down. Um, the problem with social media, this, this thinking of taking that kind of thinking and applying it to the internet is that I'm not getting anything for free. Am I? That's, a, that's an interesting conversation. So you look at Facebook, and Facebook is saying, we are going to give you this platform in which 
we can let you talk to other people and have conversations and connect with other people and post your photos and stories and what have you. And in return, you are going to let us insert these interruptions in your life. That's the transaction, just like TV, except people didn't come to Facebook so they could have ads subjected to them. They came to engage. The big pitch for social media has always been you can make friends with someone in uh, pick, a, pick a country, pick, pick, pick a place as far away as humanly possible. I think for me, I think technically Singapore is the opposite of Chicago if you drill a hole through the map perpendicular. You know, it's a, they might be a giant song. Um, I think it's Singapore. And if I wanted to reach out to somebody in Singapore and have a conversation and ask what's life like in Singapore, it would take me maybe a minute to make that happen. I would go find someone on Facebook, find them in Singapore, make a friend request, maybe depending on the time of day change, the day, <laughs> maybe they're awake, and we can have a conversation. Maybe they speak English, and let's, it's Singapore, so chances are they do, and probably better than I do. Uh, that's, that's what I'm, I signed on for Facebook for. That's why Facebook and social media and the internet exists to allow us to have those connections. I didn't go on to Facebook to say, yeah, you know what I need? I need some ads. Man, I can't wait for some ads. Cannot wait for some horribly targeted ads. Love me some ads. No one thinks that way, right? You go on Facebook to make these connections. So what does any of this have to do with social recruiting? Here's the deal. If you try and apply commercial and advertising thinking to social media, you will get, as you always have, as everyone has, let's be fair, you're not a, a, an idiot for doing it because literally everyone is doing that. You are going to get what you've always gotten, which is one and 2% engagement rates, um, maybe you know some meager interactions, some e meager conversations, because you are trying to blast everybody. You're trying to talk to everybody at once. You ever been talked to by uh, like you're everybody? Here, here's the sum total list I can come up of things that everybody agrees. Sky is blue, puppies are cute. That's the end of the list. Everything else, there's somebody out there who goes, I disagree. In fact, there's probably somebody who disagrees that puppies are cute. I don't know who that person is, but there's probably somebody. If, you, if you're trying to speak to everybody, you have to have a sense of framework. You have to have a sense of commonality. You have to say, we all agree on these things. If you're trying to talk to a candidate about applying for a job, let's say as a QA expert inside your company, you're going to want to talk to them about QA stuff. You're going to want to talk about your processes, the value you, the QA team brings to the company, how the, that team is respected within the company, the resources they're going to have uh, to, you, to do their job, the status, the expertise, the, the people around them, the services and perks around them. I have nothing to do with QA, so all those messages are completely lost on me. So you have to talk to only the people who get that message. So you have to segment your audience down to people who care about what you have to say. Now, if you've got a job that you're selling, you have to find people who only care about that job, who might have any connection to the job. The problem is, and this is human nature, and I don't blame you, is that when we're trying to figure out how to pitch these messages to people, we don't think of small, we think of big. We think of if I have a job for a QA, <clears throat> excuse me, if I have a job for a QA expert, yes, I can find the QA people. But I'm going to cast a wider net to try and reach people who may be QA experts, who may be connected to the QA family or to the QA industry. That it's hard to because on things like Facebook, it's not always clear. People just say, you know, QA experts don't necessarily say, I'm a QA expert on, LinkedIn. on Facebook. They will on LinkedIn based on their previous job titles, but not necessarily on Facebook where the social stuff is happening, right? So you have to do some smart thinking. What websites do you like? What... Um, magazines do you like? What articles do you read? Uh, what things do you engage with? And if they're QA related, there's a chance that you're QA connected and thus you should get those ads. 
The problem is, is now you're expanding the audience beyond your core audience. These are people who don't necessarily care about QA stuff. They just have me interested in system thinking or processes or bug fixing or what have you. And they got caught up in your web of trying to cast the widest net and you are speaking to them about stuff you they don't care about. Now to you, you think if I cast the net wide as possible, I'll get the widest possible audience. And I'm going to tell you right now, no, you're not. Because the wider you cast that net, the more likely you're attracting people or you're going to find people who have no interest in your message whatsoever. In fact, will be negatively turned off by that. If I have no interest in QA and you keep spamming me with QA, QA messages, guess what? I'm going to remember your name and I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to be annoyed. That's what I'm going to be. You're creating a hole. Now, as a marketer and you do want to reach me, now that you've beaten me up with QA messages that don't apply to me and now you're trying to reach me as a marketer, guess what? I'm not going to listen even though that's exactly the message I want to hear because you've established an incredibly negative brand perception about you. You stole from Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. You stole my attention to pay the QA bill even though I never will hire and get work for QA because I'm not that person and I'm not qualified for it but maybe some website I went to indicates that I might have some connection to it. And now that you've stolen from my attention, you can't have it when, you, when it might be useful to you. So you have to think smaller. And that's so antithetical to advertising. Advertising, what's the most expensive ad is the Super Bowl ad. It's like four million for 30 minutes, right? Or 30 seconds, right? Because it's the widest possible audience possible. It's the widest audience, huge audience, casting the biggest net that ever was. And they're going to charge you out the wazoo for it. And I'm going to tell you that's a bad idea. You're not selling tacos. You're selling a job. A job. You want to talk to people who would be interested in connecting to that job. So you have to think smaller. On top of which, nobody wants to feel like they're part of a larger audience. They don't want to feel, con you don't, they don't want to feel like they're being spoken to en masse. Jobs are personal. Can we, can we agree on that idea that jobs are personal? that they're meaningful to us as individuals and human beings, that many, many, many people, and not just men, even though that's classic, many people identify at least a good part of themselves based on their job and how well they do that job. So it's personal, which is really, when you boil it right down, what social is all about. It's personal. I didn't make those social maps to, uh, to, to cities or to countries. I made them to people. I made them to individuals. I made them to my mom and my dad and my wife and my best friend and former work friends and whatever. I made them individually. They're personal to me in the same way the job is personal to me. Now, the more we treat jobs as commodities, the less we can have that personal touch, the less we can make these things feel personal. You know, you were, every one of you is on some sort of list or connected to some sort of email blast that says, here's a job you might be interested in. You look at it and you're going, really? I would? You are 100% wrong. Every one of us. This is the recruiting world these days. Let's spam as many people as humanly possible. It sucks. You got to get personal. Now, that's why social recruiting is wrong. Thanks, good night. No, just kidding. I'm actually going to talk about how you do it right. Because I don't think anybody really gets to this part. There are books, there are websites that talk about this stuff, but you have to understand the lay of the land to get this far because if you don't, you don't understand why what I'm about to ask you makes perfect sense. I hope, I think. Second cup of coffee, I'm fuzzy. So how do you do it right? Well, you get personal. You have to be able to understand and connect with those people on that individual level. Now, as a recruiter, that's what your job is. 
You talked to individuals all day long. You were glued to the phone. You were glued to your email to have individual conversations. Candidate X cares about salary. Candidate Y cares about uh, benefits. You're going to talk to them in the same job, talking to them individually about those jobs based on what those candidates care about, right? Because you're good at your job. Recruiters are good at, your, at their job. That's what they do. They make those connections. They listen for the signals that say, this candidate cares about X. I'm going to give them information about X so they feel really positive about it so I can get them to apply or show up to the interview and walk them through the process. That's what they do. You have to take that model, not the advertising model, but you have to take that individual personal model and apply it to social media. If you, if you take the advertising model, you're going the wrong way. It's just another advertising channel. And let's be fair, did we need another one? Was there a dearth of them? Were we lacking in ways you could get spammed with commercials? Because I don't think we were. I feel like every day I turn around, there's yet another way somebody's going to hit me up with ads. And I'm not exactly thrilled, and neither are you. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. I feel pretty confident there. So you have to take it from the other side. You have to take it from a recruiter model, not as a marketing model, not as an advertising model. So how do you, t but how do you do that? The glory of Facebook was that you got to do what, you know, this, this conversation at scale, but you can't have a conversation at scale. When 20 people you're talking to about a job have 20 different motivations or interests about the job, you can't talk to them all about the same thing. You will alienate 18 or 19 of them immediately, right at the time in which you could really be establishing your brand and establishing your value and establishing a positive brand impression. This is crucial time. <laughs> and and, and you're, you're, you're scaring them away. So you have to take a personal approach. On top of which, that means the recruiter who, let's be fair in most companies, has to be recruiting for the developer job, the marketing job, the account job, the support job, the HR job, the accounting job, the executive job, the operations job, and thus has to be able to speak to many people about those things in languages that they care about. You know what I hate? I hate talking to recruiters and they have, don't seem to have any clue whatsoever about this job. And I don't mind it actually. It, it, it's, 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 it's a necessary evil when you're trying to find a job and you talk to a recruiter and you know the recruiter only knows about 3% of what this job's all about. They're there to make sure you don't have two heads and you meet some criteria so they can pass you on to the hiring manager who actually knows what the job is. I get that. And that's a problem because we ask our recruiters to know everything about everything. And if they did know that, they'd be spending their time on Jeopardy making a lot more money. Simple as that. So they can't know everything about everything. And what they want them to do in social recruiting is to start to build networks. You want them to reach out to people who are interested in this thing. So if you're a company and you tend to hire a lot of uh, marketers and developers, you want them to have good relationships with marketers and developers wherever they are. And you want them to be engaged in those communities so that when they show up, they aren't strangers, but they're part of that network. They're active in that network. And that means spending time thinking like a marketer and thinking like a developer, which they are may or may, you know, maybe they can figure out how to do. I, I wouldn't doubt it, but it's going to be tough to do both, especially if you also have to hire the HR person, especially if you also have to hire an accountant. You have to think like an accountant and think and speak like an accountant and have accounting networks as well as HR networks. And that's nigh on impossible. <laughs> it's just, that's asking a lot. So what you have to do when it comes to social recruiting is start to build audiences of people who get that audience, of people who connect with that audience, right? 
So what I would do, and yes, here's the solution part of what we're talking about. You need to hire marketers. You need to find a person who works in your marketing department and ask them to be your advocate. Specifically, not just say, hey, do you mind telling me some smart people or hey, can you pass this around your network? But I need you to be this company's voice inside the marketing sphere so that when we need to hire marketing jobs, we have a good network and we have a good brand impression. And we trust you to build that audience because the recruiter can't build 17 audiences about, or about 17 different uh, work types and work roles and career areas. It's impossible. But you can find 17 people individually who are good at that and have them be a part of that conversation. You have to ask them because you can't just let them figure it out. You have to ask them to be a part of it. You have to ask them to engage. You have to ask them to put their neck and their nose out there to talk about you and listen and be part of the conversation so that when the time comes when you do need to hire someone, you've got a presence in those spaces. You're not a stranger, right? Look, I'm on Facebook because my mom's on Facebook. My mom's on Facebook because I'm on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook because Bob Thompson, who I'm sure is a person, there's probably a million of them and I don't know any, um, is on Facebook. I don't care. He's a stranger. And if Bob Thompson comes walking up to me and wants to talk about a job, I'm going to say, you're a stranger. I don't get you. And I'm going to treat you very differently than when my mom says, hey, I saw this thing. A friend of mine is looking for this thing. Can I set up a coffee date? Radically different conversation, right? That's the ultimate, you know, everybody talks about referrals being the best part. What you need to build is start thinking about social recruiting, not as a means to which advertise on Facebook, but a means by which you can scale up your referral program without having to invest in individual and separate referral projects. You're going to ask your marketing connection, your marketing partner, and your accounting partner, and your developing partner to build networks and relationships inside those spaces so when it comes time to tap them, they are building good referrals. So when they say, hey, my company's hiring, they listen. Other people listen and good, smart people. And, they, and that person can even say, yes, this person was really smart on the forums or they made a really interesting article, and I think they are the person you should be talking to. And that other person is a jerk. They did nothing but troll the forum, and they never add anything of value. And yes, the resume is very pretty and clean and nice and polished and professional, but deep down when I see them when they're not being professional, they're horrible people. Don't talk to them suddenly you have a whole different world on your, in your, on your hands. You're not spamming everybody to look for jobs. You are tapping into networks. Now, this requires some level of thought, preparation, and let's be fair, trust. Because you have to ask your marketing person to spend 5% of their week building those networks, publishing occasionally and commenting on other people's posts, being a part of it. Let them jump on a Twitter chat once a week. Let them jump in a forum. Let them be part and seen as an expert in the marketing space or the developer space or whatever space. Let them build that brand, not for themselves, but for the company so that when the time comes to hire someone, they have networks and they have visibility and people know who they are. And so when they post that job for you, in the language that a marketer or developer understands and thinks about and thinks in, it connects and that they can help funnel the right people to you. Now, if you've got an established referral program, meaning, hey, if you send us a good candidate, we hire them and they last more than 90 days, we give you 500 bucks, you're already ready to go. You've already got the incentives laid out. You simply have to identify people and say, look, there is a little time and, and energy we need you to spend towards this thing, but it will eventually pay out because you will be helping drive the most talent in this space. And chances are, you're the one we're gonna pay that money out to. 
that's an incentive. I think that you don't you don't need to invent new rules. It's ready to go. It's sitting on the floor. Now, if you don't have those rules, how exactly are you incentivizing people to refer people? I'm not sure. Um, I would love for my friends to work with me, but um, it's not going to be top of mind when you need them if there's not an incentive. So you really do need to have some sort of incentive and invent your own incentive. It can be money. It can be perks. It can be I don't care. But it needs to be something because you need to tag it on to that. When we talk about social recruiting, we're not – the big picture is not to say, hey, recruiter, how do we make you into 20 people and how do we put you on 20 different social channels? The bigger picture is how do we get the recruiter to connect with people in the company connected to those audiences and allow them to enable – and empower, and I hate the word empower, but there it is, their conversation in those spaces to actually create referrals. The goal of social recruiting is not to create applications. The goal of social recruiting is to create referrals. And once you embrace that idea that social recruiting is about referrals, everything else kind of falls into place. Like I said, we don't need yet another means by which we can advertise. There are plenty, and they're inventing new ones every day. And got it. Yeah, we're good there. What you need to do is find places in which you can have conversations. And since you as the recruiter can't have all those conversations, you need to find advocates inside your company who can. Allow them and enable them and empower them and beg them if you have to, to have those conversations. Spend a little time every week creating that network, creating that visibility, that positive employer brand impression for that, those spaces. So that when the time comes to look for a job, they're just passing you three names and you're done. You may never have to post that job. You can save all your money on your job postings and your job promotions because you've enabled the re referral system. So there you go. That's the trouble with social recruiting is that we think of it as an advertising channel and not as a referral channel. But once you start to think of it as a referral channel, it is suddenly an incredibly powerful tool. And I know that works. Look, I had a staffer. Here's a little story. I had a staffer. She was fairly happy at her job. I don't know that she came skipping to work every day, but, you know, not everybody does every day. She's a big soccer nut. Loves soccer. For those of you in Europe, that's football. You know that. Stop teasing me. <laughs> loves soccer. And loves, you know, she was big into, um, oh, gosh, I can't remember which of the London town. I'm going to forget it. Anyway, um, I can't remember. So she, but she loves soccer. She just loves soccer. She's in, engaged in so, so, soccer forums. Um, she reads soccer newsletters. She's got a couple of sw Twitter accounts she connects with about soccer. She talks to her friends. She gets up early, and this is American thing. She gets up early to watch the Premier League uh, at bars with friends because here it's very early when we watch it, where you it's it's middle of the Sunday afternoon. Lucky for you. Loves soccer. Not looking for a job. Why would she be? She seems to be vaguely happy to work. People around her like her. She's got good social network here. Um, paid pretty well. Not fantastically, but nothing to, to complain about too much. And one of her networks said, hey, there's an opening for a social media expert in this soccer magazine. And she thought, I'll just send them an email. I don't know that that job ever got posted because they saw her record. Yes, she was in Chicago and she needed to move to New York. And by the way, there's a note. That's interesting to suddenly have that kind of reach based on industry and based on topic, not based on geography. Talked to her over the phone, talked to her over Skype, hired her, gave her three weeks to move to New York, and in the year since then, she's been incredibly happy working for a soccer magazine. Now, she wasn't looking for a job. She wasn't on the job boards. Had she been on a job board and seen, hey, soccer magazine needs a social person, I'm sure she would have applied for it because it's a perfect job. It's her dream job. 
but she wasn't looking for a job, thus she never would have seen it and thus never would have applied. However, because she had a network and that magazine had a network of people who followed them, once they reached out internal to that network and say, hey, we're looking for this person, I'm sure they got 20 applications. But and they didn't need to post it to an app because they found people who are passionate about this thing, passionate about soccer or football, passionate about writing about it and connecting with people and advocating for it and getting people excited about it. That's what they were looking for. They weren't looking for a social media expert who would figure out how to learn soccer. They were looking for soccer enthusiasts who knew how to use social. Where do you go? To soccer places. That's social recruiting. It was a referral. It's the people who think of social recruiting as, okay, I'm gonna post my job on Twitter again. That's not social recruiting. That's sucking. <laughs> That's doing a bad job. So there you go. To wrap up, social recruiting is not about advertising. It's not about the social. It's about extending your referral system. Your reference, you're going to get employee referrals. That's what it's all about. It's extending that model. Thanks for listening. As always, please comment or please uh, uh, review us on iTunes and Google Play. We love the five-star reviews we've gotten. I'm stunned and, and thrilled and, and flabbergasted. That's a word. Um, and, and the more we get, the better off we are and the more listeners we can get. So I appreciate that unbelievably. Uh, obviously, if you want to reach out to me and complain to me about whatever, I'm here on Twitter, at The War for Talent. That's at The War for Talent. Or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com, thetalentcast.com. And uh, I don't know, do whatever you do on a website. There's not much there to do other than to leave a, to subscribe, I guess. It's a thing. Um, otherwise, share us and, and, and comment. I really love that. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And I will see you next week. Bye. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.